Welcome to Hope for Right Now, a Walking with Purpose podcast. Walking with Purpose is a Catholic women's apostolate that creates fresh and relevant Bible studies to lead women to personally know Christ through Scripture. Hi, I'm Lisa Brennickmeyer, and I'm joined by Laura Phelps. We are two friends passionate about unpacking God's Word and applying it to our everyday lives. Each week, we will step out of the discouragement the world provides by grabbing hold of the hope we find in God's Word. Never have we been more convinced of the importance of women being grounded in hope. No matter where you are in the spiritual journey, we pray you'll stick around because God has a word for your heart and His word changes everything. So open your heart, open your Bible, and invite God in. Hello and welcome to the Hope for Right Now podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Brennickmeyer. And I'm your other host, Laura Phelps, and we are so excited to be with you today. What we are going to do to kick off this first season is we are going to get in the book of John, and we're going to be looking at some passages, specifically the famous I Am Statements by Jesus. And so this is week one of a seven-week series. And the reason why Laura and I chose these particular passages from the Gospel of John is because they are going to help us to encounter Jesus personally. And maybe you have known God personally for as long as you can remember, but maybe you, like most people, think that that's something that actually sounds really hard, not necessarily unappealing, but just difficult to know how to be personally connected to a God that you can't reach out and physically touch. And if that's where you find yourself, I want you to know that you are not alone. It is a hard thing to grasp how we can, in the words of Philip Yancey, reach for an invisible God and find him. But maybe it's helpful to think about how you get to know any person on a more personal level. So you start to figure out what that person is like, and then you see how he or she reacts in situations. You store that data away. Or maybe you notice how the person makes you feel, and then you pick up on what that person likes and dislikes. Loads of little observations are being gathered over time, time spent together, and eventually all together, they help you to feel connected personally. So that's how it works with people, and the same goes for God. So back to these I am statements. Each time we find Jesus saying, I am, he is giving us a glimpse into what he's like. He's revealing something to us about his character. And if we want to know God personally, we are going to need to figure out who he really is. And this means we're going to have to engage our heads and our hearts and not just rely on what we already know. And this is probably going to require a little humility for most of us, because I think a lot of us have heard stuff about Jesus that might not necessarily be true of who he really is. And this makes me think about a story that I love about N.T. Wright. So N.T. Wright, when he was the chaplain of the University of Oxford, tried to meet with each new student, which is pretty incredible when you think about it. But many of them would come in and would say something to him like, well, you're not going to actually be seeing much of me because I don't believe in God. And N.T. Wright would ask them which God they didn't believe in. And then they describe the God that they didn't believe in. And Wright would say, oh, well, I don't believe in that God either. I believe in the God who is revealed in Jesus of Nazareth. So that's where we want to begin. And we're inviting you to let Jesus' life and words about himself speak for himself. So good. I love that. So there are seven of these I am statements in the Gospel of John. So I just want to read them to you all now. The seven statements are, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the door, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the way, the truth, and the life, 
and I am the true vine. So for this first episode in this series, we're going to be in the book of John, chapter 6, verse 35. We're going to look at verse 35, and this is where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And what we want to do is we want to explore what this revelation of who Jesus is has to do with us today. And what we're going to find is that it's only Jesus, the bread of life, who can truly fulfill our deepest longings, right? And like, that's what we want to dive in and take a look at. And Lisa, I would love it if you wouldn't mind just giving us some background on this part of the Bible, like give us like your best biblical unpacking of what we're looking at here. (laughs) Sure. So I really love this um, quote from the catechism. It's number 129. And it says that the New Testament lies hidden in the old and the Old Testament is unveiled in the new. And we can see that connection happening right here. And a little background from the Old Testament is going to help us understand why Jesus was so intentional about starting his sentences with the words, I am. This expression, I am, was meant to make the listener think back to Exodus 3.14, which was the place where God first introduced himself to Moses. So when Moses was trying to understand who this God was who was speaking to him from a burning bush, God said to him, I am who I am. And those words were used throughout Israel's history to make the point that God always was, God always is, and God always will be. So when Jesus uses the statement, I am, he is connecting himself with God. He's revealing himself as God. And whenever we read I am in scripture, what we're seeing is an invitation to get to know God better, to connect with him personally. So, okay, so when we look then at this verse in John, when we look at John 6, 35, in what way are we seeing that invitation to know him better, right? Like like if I look at the full verse, and if, if you all have your Bibles open, you could see that the full verse reads, I am the bread of life. Um, and then it says, Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. So I look at this and then I ask like, well, okay, well, what else is going on here? (laughs) Like what was going on before this? And I don't know, like, can you just shed some light on like putting this all into context? Like what was happening here that, that either came before or comes after? Sure. So just before this, at the beginning of chapter six, Jesus had performed a miracle and it's the miracle that we've heard of before where he multiplied five barley loaves and two fish into so much food that he was able to feed 5,000 men. That's not even mentioning the women and children. And there were 12 baskets full left over. And this absolutely amazed the people and it made them certain that Jesus was the one they'd been waiting for. Jesus was the one who was going to rescue them from the Romans who were occupying their homeland. And John 6, 15 says that perceiving then, this is Jesus, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew. So Jesus withdrew because that was not the result he wanted from the miracle. He wasn't looking for a way to move forward politically. He was trying to teach the people something totally different. He withdrew but the people found him again. And we see that in John 6, 26 through 27. And when Jesus encountered the crowd, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food which perishes, 
but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And one of my favorite devotionals is called The Life of Christ by Fulton Sheen. And in it, he makes the point that the people saw Jesus as a way of satisfying their bread hunger, not their soul hunger. So they wanted Jesus to fix their current problems. And Jesus was trying to get them to look beyond their immediate physical needs to what mattered more, to their spiritual needs. So, Lord, do you have any thoughts on how all of that can just be applied to our day-to-day life? Oh, yes. (laughs) I actually, I have many thoughts, but what surfaces immediately is really my own approach to Jesus. You know, like more often than I care to admit, I actually do approach Jesus wanting the quick fix. You know, like I want my bread hunger satisfied. And part of that could be because we live in a culture of instant everything, right? Instant gratification. We don't have to wait for anything. It used to take hours to make rice. <laughs> you know, now you have it in two minutes. And I think um, I think it's almost as if we've been trained to look no further than the immediate need, right? Like we're so focused on that immediate need. And so I think what happens is we begin to approach Jesus with that same mentality. And we spend very little time with him or thinking about him. But then, then something goes wrong, right? And whether it's a loved one gets sick or we lose a job or we've got a child in crisis. And what I've found is we do one of two things. We either go to the person in our life that we know has a relationship with Jesus and we ask them to pray for us. You know, like we take our needs to them and say, like, can you go pray? Or or we'll find ourselves in such need that we do run to Jesus ourselves, but we go to him in the same way that we might run to a magician right? Or to like a genie in a bottle. And we just sort of say like, okay, if you are real, then heal this or fix this. And here's the thing. He might do what we ask or he might not. And either way, because we only go to him with this gimme faith, regardless of how the situation plays out, we still have no clue who he is. You know, we still don't know why he does what he does or why he doesn't do what we ask. And so I just, I really believe that is so long as our physical needs matter to us more than our spiritual needs, I don't believe that we will ever be satisfied. I don't. I think that so long as we go and we, you know, we demand the gift without knowing the giver, I believe that the things we truly long for, they will never be met. Oh yeah. Laura, that's, gosh, I relate to that so completely. I really do. I'm I'm right there with you. And and I want to grow in that way. And and I think this passage really challenges us to to grow out of that and to start longing for our soul hunger to be satisfied more than just the immediate because as we go on in the passage, we see that something interesting happens. So remember that these are the same people that just saw Jesus do an incredible miracle of multiplying five loaves of bread and two fish into enough to feed 5,000 men, which is likely around 20,000 people when you add the women and the kids. And the people actually ask him after that, they say to him, what sign can you perform to prove that we should believe in you? Like that's how they follow up. They acknowledge the previous miracle, but then they point out, well, Moses managed to produce bread from heaven, not just for one meal, but for 40 years. And I can imagine that Jesus might've gotten offended by that, but he doesn't. And what he does is he answers them in verses 32 and 33. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, 
It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. My father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then they said, okay, then give us this bread. And that's when Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Now, many of us hear this phrase, and because we've heard about it before, we just accept it. Or maybe we even hum that song that we sing at Mass with those words in our head. But for people at that time, they would have been totally perplexed. Like, what? You are the bread of life? Who says stuff like that? And what does that even mean? So Jesus went on to explain. In John 6, 48, he said, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that a man may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, this is a game stopper comment. Jesus said, the bread is my flesh, which I have got to assume everybody there thought was a very weird thing to say. Because we see that in their response in verse 52, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So does Jesus then say, well, I was just speaking metaphorically. Or does he clarify that he doesn't want people to think about what he is saying literally? No. In verse 53, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, You have no life in you. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. Now, I've got to say, listeners, years ago, these verses were a real sticking point for me. I didn't grow up Catholic. And I had heard the Catholic teaching that we believe that the Eucharist is not just a symbolic remembrance of Jesus's death and resurrection, but that it actually becomes the body of Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity. And I heard that because of this, in the words of St. Augustine, we actually become what we receive when we receive the Eucharist. I'd heard those things, but I just had trouble believing them. And then I started studying this passage from John 6, and I noticed some things. One thing is something I learned from Fulton Sheen, and he wrote, it was our Lord's method whenever anyone misunderstood what he said to correct the misunderstanding, as he did when Nicodemus thought born again meant re-entering his mother's womb. But whenever anyone correctly understood what he said, but found fault with it, he repeated what he said. And in this discourse, our Lord repeated five times what he had said about his body and blood, end quote. And what he said was that his flesh was food indeed, and his blood was drink indeed, and whoever ate his flesh and drank his blood would abide in him. Okay, abide. That has always been a really big word for me. And we're going to look at it later in the season when we talk about Jesus saying, I am the true vine. But the thing for me is that I had always associated abiding in Christ with spending time reading scripture. That was the way that I knew how to abide in Christ. And that certainly is one way. But this passage of John was telling me that there was something more. There was something that I hadn't tapped into 
there was a way in which I could experience greater personal intimacy with God. And I wanted this. And so I asked God for the gift of faith. I asked him to help me to believe, to overcome my doubt. And one of the things I really wrestled with was this. I had accepted from childhood that somehow God became man. I believed in the miracle of the incarnation. And so was it any more difficult to believe that God could choose to make himself even smaller, becoming present in a piece of bread in the host? So if he could do the one, could he not do the other? And who was I to say that this was unlikely or this was impossible when these were the verses I was reading in the Gospel of John? Now, this this whole chapter is so loaded, and there's so much more I could say about these verses. There's more to unpack. I do unpack it in the Bible study, Opening Your Heart. I unpack it in Touching the Divine, our Bible study on the Gospel of John. And there's so much more evidence that Jesus meant exactly what he said Literally. I don't have time to get into all of that today, but I point you to those two studies. But as I studied those things personally, I did find all of those additional facts, those additional interpretations, and that additional teaching on those passages super helpful. But the real change came, if I'm just honest with you, it came when I decided to take a leap of faith. And I recognized that this was no different than any other area of my faith life, that there would be a lot of proof, but never enough to remove the need for faith to believe in something that I couldn't see. So I took the leap and I said to God, I believe, help my disbelief. And he did. And with time, more and more, I began to experience the truth that what we receive is what we become in the Eucharist and that the Eucharist is absolutely the key to my emptiness being filled. So Laura, when you think about all of this, about Jesus's claim to be the bread of life and of the claim that only he can fulfill our emptiness, only he can really satisfy our deepest longings, can you bring those things into our day-to-day life? What did these verses from John 6 have to do with the things that you're dealing with and our listeners are dealing with day-to-day? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And can I just say, I love that you shared that story because I've never really heard your story of I have, you always wonder when there's a, a conversion like that Eucharist obstacle, you know, that that is for so many people. So thank you for that. I had a big smile when you were telling that story. So, you know, I just I, I hear all of this and and what I think about is the human heart. I think about our hearts and how deep within every human heart is really the same yearning. I believe we all have the same longing. And I think that when we're honest, what we actually hunger for is so much more than a quick solution to our quick, you know, to our to our little problems that we have. Like we hunger really for so much more than that. And what came to mind when you were unpacking the scripture, it's so interesting, but what came right to my mind is the story of St. Monica. So St. Monica, you know, she spent almost 20 years, 20 years she spent pleading with God and begging him through countless tears to bring her wayward son back into the Christian fold. That is her story. And knowing that her son, Augustine, had abandoned the faith and was about to leave for North Africa, she was a wreck. She was a total wreck because she really believed that this trip, this sailing away, was going to take him even further away from his faith. And she did not want that. And so as the story goes, I've read that he gave his word and that he wasn't going to get on that boat and he wasn't going to sail away. And so St. Monica goes to a chapel. And she just gets down on her knees and she prays the entire night. And the prayer in that moment was that the Lord didn't let him get on the boat and sail away. That was what she prayed for. And unfortunately, while Monica was in that chapel, 
Augustine, without her knowledge, without her knowing, he gets on the boat and he actually sails away. And there is a, f- a reflection that Augustine wrote on that moment. And he he wrote this. He said, that night I stole away without her. She remained praying and weeping. And what she was praying for, oh my God, with all those tears, but that you should not allow me to sail. But you saw deeper and granted the essential part of her prayer. You did not do what she was asking in that moment that you might do the thing she was always asking. And I'm, I, I was like, I'm not going to be the girl that cries on a podcast. And that totally <laughs> unexpectedly brought me to tears. And it's because I love this story so much, everybody, because this is the reminder of who God is. This is it. He wants to give us so much more than what we ask of him. Like our asks are really actually so small. You know, did he answer St. Monica's prayer to not get on the boat? No, he got on the boat. And thank God, because her real prayer, her deepest longing, it wasn't that he didn't get on the boat. It was that he would come back to the faith. And then he did more than that. He did more than that. He became the future bishop of Hippo. He became a great saint, a doctor of the church. And it's like this trust that she had was so incredible. And and we could say, well, that's St. Monica. But you know what? I believe that we too can have the trust and the patience and the perseverance that St. Monica had, providing one thing, that we know God and that we love God the way that she did. But here's the thing. We cannot, we cannot love what we don't know, right? We can't love what we don't know. And so I think we have to really ask ourselves, how do I approach God, right? When you approach God, like, where do I start? Where am I starting? Because I'll tell you, if we start with how we feel or by telling God what we want, like that's not relationship. That That's called a vending machine, right? And like, I know what you want, Lisa. Like, I don't know what, what all of our listeners want, but I know what I want. And I need more than vending machine, Jesus. I want abundant life, Jesus. That's the Jesus I want. And um, Father John Bartunek, if you've ever read anything he's written, I love him. He said in response to this specific scripture verse, he wrote this. He said, in Christ, the human heart feasts on the abundance of life for which it was made. Without Christ, it slowly starves. And I don't know about you. I see a lot of people starving right now. I see a lot of people starving. The more that we get to know him and his ways, the better equipped we will be in our times of pain, in our disappointment, and in our suffering. Because while we may not like our present circumstances or feel good, we trust that he is who he says he is, and that will be enough. And when this happens, the thing is, when this happens, then we approach him differently, right? We no longer come to him with our list of immediate wants, but rather we recognize that there is a greater picture that only God knows. And then we can ask in all humility, what do you want for me, Lord? Which is very different than going and giving him what we want. What do you want for me, Lord? And um, I know, I know that this can sound almost shocking to someone who doesn't know Jesus personally, that this kind of prayer. I was actually, I was out recently with some friends. We were doing a little football tailgating. And these women, they're not my ministry people, right? This is not my ministry circle or my holy huddle. I don't go to church with them. Nonetheless, they're like super great women, love their families fiercely. And one of the moms started talking about her daughter who's in college. And she was real concerned because she wanted to pledge a sorority. And um, she was just basically expressing her concern and asking us like, you know, will you keep my daughter in your prayers? And of course, everybody at that table 
is like, yes, of course. Nobody ever says like, no can do. Sorry, you're not going to pray for your kid. They were like all on board. But I went a little bit further and I said, absolutely, I'm going to pray. And I said, you know, can I ask you, what do you want for your daughter? Like, what do you really want? And here's the great thing. The truth was her deepest longing. It wasn't that her daughter got into the perfect sorority. I don't even think it was that she got into a sorority at all. Her deepest longing, what she was really praying for, was that her daughter found a group of good friends, like-minded friends that she felt comfortable with because she had struggled in high school with all sorts of anxiety and she was terrified that this pledging process was going to dig all of that insecurity and anxiety up. That was what she was afraid of. That was her prayer. And so right there, like beer, wings, (laughs) salads, I just prayed out loud with all these women. And I said, I'm going to pray that the Lord would open the doors he wants your daughter to walk through. And I am also going to pray that if the sorority is not right for her, he would please close that door. And Lisa, I'm telling you, like the women were visibly and audibly amazed, I think, because they had never heard a prayer like that, right? They never heard a prayer that says, God, you know what? My daughter really wants this thing, but hey, if it's not good for her spiritually, close that door on her. Then I don't want her to walk through that door. And they had never heard that. And that's because this is the kind of prayer that we learn to pray only when we take the time to know Jesus personally, right? And in today's verse, what I hear, what I hear is that he loves us too much to simply be a quick fix God. He's so much better. He is so much greater. He gives us so much more than what we think we need or what we think our loved ones need. It's like you said, he gives himself to us. He gives his flesh. He gives his blood, his total presence in the Eucharist. And every time, every time that we receive him into our bodies, we're changed. We are changed because he is the life that we long for. He is the life of heaven. And we get to take this life into ourselves. And this, this is the answer to everything, right? It's the answer to the heartache, to the disappointment, to all our exhaustion, the grief, to everything that's wrong with your life right now. It is him. It is himself and it is his presence. And I just want to say to that, like, I'm going to be totally honest. When I made the decision to get to know Jesus, you know, I was going to daily mass, receiving the Eucharist every day, going to adoration. I didn't always feel great. And I think that's important to to say, you know, there are times now, 10 years later after my reversion, that I receive him, the bread of life in the Eucharist, and I don't feel anything. I don't feel his presence. And that's why I love this quote that I really want to share. It's written by Peter Kwasniewski in his book called The Holy Bread of Eternal Life. And he's talking about going to mass and receiving the bread of life. And he says this, he says, it may not always feel like the height of one's interior life or one's Christian life. But that's besides the point. Our religion does not consist in feelings or even true thoughts, but communion with mysteries. It is about massive realities too big for our comprehension. God thrusts them upon us, and we respond in the darkness of faith. We have to trust not our changing feelings or our uncertain thoughts, but his everlasting word which is the only rock we can safely build on. And then he says, every man is either living from the Eucharist or longing to live from it, whether he knows it or not. And so, you know, the moment that we make the decision to surrender, right, to surrender our feelings, our thoughts, our everything to the Lord, and we make intentional moves to know him personally, 
you know, maybe that looks like going to daily mass or going back to Sunday mass or signing up for a Bible study. As soon as we do this, we are already closer to meeting those needs that truly matter. The spiritual needs, right? The spiritual needs that are embedded in our hearts from the moment of conception, the moment that we are created. Oh, Laura, thank you. Gosh, thank you so much for bringing it just straight into real life, especially into our prayers and our longings for our kids. I think that's just where the rubber really meets the road, where we don't want we don't want suffering, right? And um, we want our superficial prayers wanting easy. But is there something deeper? And I, I just think there is. There's something deeper we're all longing for. There's something deeper we're longing for our kids. And so I just want to leave us as we close out with a parting question, something that we can all chew on over the next week. And it's this, and it's related to the question that Laura was asking that mom at the tailgate. What is your end goal? So is psychological health the end goal or is it spiritual maturity? If we want a genuine personal relationship with God, it's going to have to be the latter. Because if all you really want is relief, then you're going to end up not with a personal relationship, but with a transactional relationship, a conditional relationship, one where you want the gift, but the giver alone doesn't really satisfy. But if you are willing to make being a spiritually mature woman your goal, your closeness to God personally will grow exponentially. It won't be tied to your circumstances, and everything in your life can be falling apart but he will be holding you together. So until we get together again next week, I'd love to close us out in prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear God, we want to know you personally. We want to be growing closer to you and we want to be growing, growing more spiritually mature. And the desire for relief cries out in our heart. And I do thank you that you do care how we are and how we feel. It's not that you aren't concerned about those things, but you are continuously drawing our hearts to desire what is deeper, what is more apt to satisfy, what in the long run matters the most. Help us to desire those things. Purify our desires, God, and help us in whichever circumstance we face to come to know you more intimately to come to know you better, to seek you not just as the giver of good gifts, not just seeking the gifts, but to be seeking you yourself. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to Hope for Right Now, a Walking with Purpose podcast. We would love for you to subscribe, share today's episode with a friend, and leave a rate and review. And don't forget, subscribe to our weekly newsletter. This is where you'll get sneak peeks into new content, special events, and exclusive discounts sent directly to your inbox. Finally, we know how important it is to keep the conversation going. So we've created a private Facebook group exclusive to listeners like you. You can find the newsletter and Facebook details all in our show notes. It's our privilege to unpack God's word with you, and we can't wait to do it again next week. Until then, friends, don't forget to open your heart, open your Bible, and invite God in.